It's that time of the week. It's time to find out who the biggest planks are. That's right. It's Talk Radio TV's Plank of the Week. And I'm delighted to say we've got a bit of a first coming up this week because we've only ever done Plank of the Week with two men and one woman. We've done it with three men. We've never done it with two women and one man. Now, I know that might sound a bit of a weird introduction, but I think it's time to uh, admit that I have, for the first time, two women with me, uh, which is going to be a very different vibe, I think. Emma Webb, who's done it many times, and Sophie Corcoran here for the first time. Welcome uh, to Plank of the Week. Thank you for coming. And um, there's been an awful lot of plankery going on, Emma, hasn't there? So uh, do you want to kick us off with your first nomination? I can't believe you assume to my gender, Mike. I know. <laughs> it's not good, is it? It's not a good start. My first my first nomination is a is a, a joint uh, nomination in, in the confectionery industry. Yes. Um, the first of the two is uh, Chocolate Only, a yes. Dutch company that have released or are releasing through Waitrose this series of chocolate bars with uh, injustice, inequality and inhuman written on them. Right. Um, is and the idea that if you eat the injustice that it disappears? Well, the the idea is that they're, they're releasing these in a box. I think the, the series is called something like Conversations, something to that Dear effect. Um, well, and, why don't you just make a bar of fruit and nut? And but be this happy with it? this company it, it has, from the very beginning, been woke. So yeah. um, I used to buy these chocolate bars in Holland when they weren't available in the UK, right. and I think. I don't know if they've changed their packaging now, but on the inside, they they gave this explanation of why their chocolate bars were carved up with all of these unequal pieces. Mm. And it was supposed to symbolise inequality within the chocolate industry. <laughs> and and the bar itself... I mean, the they're company, really thinking too much. The company is called Chocolonely because it's lonely fighting against injustice it... within the chocolate oh, industry. And this company have vowed to eradicate slavery from their production. By 2025, we're not there well, you know, yet. It's not easy to eradicate slavery. And so they've been called out on the fact that actually, whilst they're criticising all of these other companies for being unethical they are participating in the same supply chains they say that it's that it's justified because they want to work with the big dogs in order to try and change the mm, industry of course. but what it actually just looks like is that they are trying to, but it's, it's marketing essentially. Yes. They're trying to, to virtue signal as a way of marketing and selling their chocolate as being different from the other ethical manufacturers. And this was in the same week as the story that everyone will have heard of, which is M&S yes. deciding to axe midget from midget gems because <laughs> they believe Amazing. and changing it to mini gems, yes. even though midget mini. Well, it's funny because I've been, ever since that day uh, when that story broke, I was asking people to take pictures of the midget gems that they could find in various shops because apparently there's lots of different shops that do sell them. So while M&S apparently has withdrawn them from what we could gather because we tried to send somebody out to buy some, couldn't find any, um, all the other supermarkets have got various different versions of them and they're still called midget gems. So it's only M&S, I think, that are actually now But it's a, it's a, it's a genre of sweet, like yeah. black bullets. Yes. Or as I think it was um, Brendan O'Neill pointed out that, that you know, crackers mm. could be offensive because they could. it's a slur against Well, you were saying ginger nuts are quite offensive to people with no, red hair. Justice. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, you could have, you might have to chat, but it's so ridiculous, isn't I it? I just don't get this. It's chocolate. Uh, why does anyone think that chocolate... Uh, there's all of this injustice in the world. If a chocolate bar could have solved it, I would have done it by now. I don't get how they come up with all this nonsense. I think people honest. just... It's the same with Ben and Jerry's, that, you know, people just just make chocolate. Yeah. Make ice cream. Oh, make ice cream. Want is a and bar also, of chocolate. if in Ben and Jerry's case, try not to make ice cream with uh, migrant labour, which you're paying <laughs> below minimum wage. It's always it's, makes it's it's always it's, that, like, It always appears that they've got... It's almost like they've got something to hide, like the lady doth protest too much. If these companies are going so out of their way to signal their virtue, even though these companies are, in many ways, 
guilty of various unethical right. things. Um, uh, you can think of almost any any of these big companies that there are things that they do that are not exactly ethical. Um, but the, it's, it looks so cynical because they're using it clearly as a marketing ploy. Mm. Like Chocolate only made this advent calendar where they um, they left out some chocolates and it was supposed to be symbolic of um, oh, to remind this. people about I child starvation. I think they, kind of, I think they, they certainly hunger. got a mention on Planking the Witches before Christmas for that. Unbelievable. I just really don't get why people don't just stick to chocolate. Well, I mean, maybe they shouldn't make quite so much chocolate because one true. of my pet um, hates is going into um, any shop that sells chocolate and there's so much of it. And you're kind of going, I don't really think we need 25 different versions of Kit Kat, do we? Do you need <laughs> well. to do a new sort of <laughs> bubblegum flavour of Kit Kat? You know, just get Kit Kat. Isn't that enough? The problem is that Chocoloni's chocolate is really rather nice. Is it good? So I am still going to keep buying it. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, it's a point that was made to me by someone else that... You know, if you want to make a point about inequality in the chocolate industry, maybe we should demonstrate that equality, inequality by um, voting with our wallets and not buying chocolate only. Uh, well, you could do that, but obviously you're not going to join in with that particularly boycott. No, it's really good. It's, it's really good I chocolate. Think, I mean, I'm a big <laughs> fan of chocolate. I've never tried it. I may have to... Uh, I can't believe you haven't brought any in. I did try. Did you? <laughs> I did, I did. Has it been, have they sold out? Is that what's happened? Oh, probably the marketing more no, marketing toys were. the to show that it's lonely. There's <laughs> no one there. Unbelievable. So, Sophie, um, welcome to Plank of the Week, as Thank I say. You. Uh, you expressed an interest in coming here. So let's see, what's your first nomination? So my first nomination is Barry Gardner. He's Excellent. the Labour MP who has accepted over half a million pounds in donation from a Chinese agent who works? Who is a spy for the Chinese Communist Party, Christine Lee? Yes. Um, he claimed that um, he never. They've spoken politics, but he didn't give her any political gain. So, oh yeah, I've only told her a couple of secrets, nothing much. Right. Um, and then he's also, up until I think it was his Thursday, employed her son yes. as his diary manager. And the thing is, it's a massive, massive security breach. And you would think. But then apparently it's not illegal. It's not against the rules of no. the House of Commons to take that amount of money from somebody who appears to be a lobbyist. No, but my, my question about this is he's, he's took over half a million pound from this Chinese friendly, lovely spy that he claims was to be for his staffing costs. So right. then my question is, why has he then gone and claimed £150,000 from the taxpayer for his staffing costs? It's a very good question. And what because exactly he, he is he doing? he got the money for it. What's he doing? I've seen a picture of his house over the weekend, which looks something akin to Buckingham Palace, which certainly doesn't look like the sort of house you'd be able to afford to buy on 80 grand a year as an MP. And it seems remarkable, doesn't it? Greg Hans, actually, the Tory MP, said that he's now concerned because he... Uh, was in various meetings with Barry, Beijing Barry, as he's now known, yes. um, about things like trade deals with China. And this guy was sitting in there getting confidential and presumably, um, you know, very, very private information from government about what the trade deal with China was going to be like. And presumably he was telling her. Where are all the Tory sleaze people now yeah, complaining about this? Saying. Because it's the same thing with you know, the, the whole situation mm. around David Cameron. The yeah. lines are so blurred when it comes to lobbying. What is lobbying? What is spying? Yeah. What, what what money is acceptable to take? What isn't? And all of the people who were so loud about Tory sleeves yeah. aren't saying anything no. about this. You can see this, though, because I think it was... Um, oh, what's his name? The really annoying one that went on LBC. Uh, Richard Bergen. He went on there and refused... refused the comedy MP. Yes, he refused to well, say... That, yeah. that um, <laughs> Of course. He refused to say about China and their genocide. And he was back in them. They shut down the COVID lab leak theory very quickly, which yeah. health officials have said is a possibility. 
And now, all of a sudden, magically, they're being, you know, the Labour Fund Party are being funded by the Chinese Communist Party. Well, you think I mean, Keir Starmer might have been interested in running some kind of internal investigation, but nobody seems to want to do anything. The, the thing is... Because the Labour Party the have Labour taken some Party, of the money as well, haven't the they? The Labour Party harassed Owen Paterson mm. out of his job for sleaze. Meanwhile, Beijing Barry's over there cozying it up with the Chinese. Mm. Like, doesn't seem right, does it? It's sleaze. But, yeah, apparently... It doesn't seem surprising at all. It really no. doesn't. And Barry Gardner has been a kind of, you know, there or thereabouts shadow um, minister for all sorts of different departments. And so if he's known this woman for several years, which appears to be true, but she's not just friends with Barry Gardner. She seems to have been quite good friends with David Cameron. And Ed she Davey seems to have been well. quite good. She's given some money to him. Ed Davey. It's a very friendly lady. But I mean, what <laughs> I did say at the beginning of this whole scandal is if you are a Chinese agent, is Barry Gardner really the greatest target you could achieve? No, yeah, and, you know, true. can you imagine if on the phone to Beijing, you know, it's great, we've got <laughs> Barry Gardner. <laughs> and you go, he suggests that maybe the CCP's intelligence network is a what yeah, it's cracked up to be. He had no idea, but like she's in almost every single photograph yeah. in the Chinese. Well, she's not hiding it, is she? In a circle, no. It was obvious. She's been given an award. I think she was given an award by Theresa May for something or other. She's got a law firm in the Midlands, which I presume her husband is also involved with as well. Um, and it's not we'll talk about hiding in plain sight. I mean, if everybody knows she's a, a spy. Why is she still here? Is a question that was asked by Ian Duncan Smith. You know, why is she not been kicked out of the country? Mm -hmm. True. And MI5 seems to think it's better to know who they are, so we just let them operate. And then... there is some there is some credence in in that because if they are operating in broad daylight, then you know I guess it's it, it's the same with when you know the security services keep an eye on certain terrorists. Mm. There is a time to strike and a time that it's not necessarily advantageous to because they can lead you to others. Yes. Um, but this does raise serious questions about, because, you know, we had all of this discussion around Huawei, around um, Chinese spying, Chinese investment, Chinese influence in in the UK, in the, you know, property market, things like that. Mm. You know, it, it seems absurd that this could be taking place yeah. and allow, be allowed to, you know, continue taking right. place. But for I the think. Olympics now, I think it's... Um... A few countries the Beijing Olympics have, been is like two weeks, not, isn't it? have been told to not take their phones or their laptops to Beijing because of cybersecurity mm -hmm. threats and hacking and spying from the Chinese. The Olympians are being told that. So why aren't our parliamentarians? Why aren't they staying away? We need to be decoupling ourselves rapidly from anything from, Chinese. Yes. Why has it taken so long? We know that China are a threat. But the trouble is you can't because they're into so much here. They're into mm -hmm. energy companies that, that provide energy to this country. They're into every single academic institution in the land. Yeah. You know, almost every chair of prof professorialship uh, mm -hmm. is owned by the Chinese. And they're into every single kind of area of mm -hmm. our everyday lives. And so I think uncoupling is way past um, a choice that we can even make. Well... Possibly, so, but we still have to. Yeah. We've got to find a way to do it. And I think, mm. you know, some great research has been done by, um, you know, people like Radimir Tylecott, who's, you know, looked into yeah. the, their influence within universities. Of course, there's a lot of people that think that... They uh, this fund is a lot of your um, Oxford and Cambridge, don't they? <laughs> Mine? Yeah, well, yeah. That's a bit unfair you, singling you her say, out as the sole that, representative no, of Oxbridge. They, uh, they fund, <laughs> they fund I'm a, the node a in the CCP part. network. Yes, you are. <laughs> Why haven't they been giving me a ring? They fund a massive part of Oxford and Cambridge and they're our top universities. So how much do China have influence over our best institutions? Well, all of, the, all of those, in, those institutions, you know, all the sort of what you might call traditional universities, um, are completely riddled with Chinese, Chinese money. Chinese funders, yeah. You know, unbelievable. They're extraordinary at projecting their power yeah. in so many ways, and not just here, but all across Europe. Yeah. And across they're shameless the, the new Silk well. Road they and everything. Utterly it's... shameless. Well, they've now got Afghanistan as well. 
mm-hmm. it would seem. Anyway, I mean, there are those who think that this is all a ruse put up by Boris Johnson to detect, to deflect everybody away from Partygate, which of course hasn't worked because mm-hmm. um, only literally an hour before we started filming, um, Boris Johnson has got himself back onto Plank of the Week because he was interviewed again about um, what happened that fateful day in May 2020 uh, when he had what he thought was a work event uh, because Dominic Cummings came out last night and said, well, I can categorically tell you that I told him it wasn't a work event, it shouldn't have been going ahead, he said it should, and that's why it did go ahead and there's no way that he didn't lie to Parliament. He's come out and basically said, in his words, nobody told me that the number 10 garden party during lockdown was against the rules. You wrote the rules, you should know. Well, wouldn't you think he would know the rules? Wouldn't you imagine that he would know the rules? Yeah, but the thing is, I don't get now why the media are coming here and saying that Dominic Cummings is a saint and a beacon of truth and every single word that comes out of his mouth is, you know, to the letter when they spent years and years calling that man a liar. Yeah, I don't so know... So why do you trust I him now? I don't know why they uh, suddenly have switched allegiance. No, the uh, second he says that about it's Boris, he's the, he's the cynical. beacon of truth. Really? I mean... <laughs> it's almost, it's almost as if it's politically motivated. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the trouble is, you would, unfortunately, I mean, it's why Keir Starmer looks virtuous against Boris Johnson because anybody up against Boris Johnson looks like they're telling the truth because as somebody said to me if he was such, if he was if he was a, a, such an inveterate liar why isn't he better at it because he's not very good at it. I mean, Unfortunately, he could tell the truth and it would sound like a lie. Well, very yeah. possibly so. But how about this? This is another quote from him, right? I'm saying categorically that nobody told me, nobody said this was something that was against the rules, doing something that wasn't a work event, because frankly, I can't imagine why it would have gone ahead or it would have been allowed to go ahead if it was against the rules. So he's effectively saying, well, it must have been um, not against the rules, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. I can imagine why it would have huh? happened, because they thought they were above the rules. Well, also, yeah, they That's didn't all care. Of, all of the people who got in trouble for breaking the rules at any point during coronavirus should just be pardoned. Yes. Because oh, of this. Because like... if the Prime Minister can use that excuse... Mm. Because, I didn't and, know it was against the rules. And fair enough, the rules were unclear. Yeah. The yeah. rules were not... not you know, th- these, were, these were not rules, this was not legislation that should have ever been able to be imposed by any no. government. They were unclear. It was almost impossible to follow them to the letter. The government themselves have proven that they weren't able to follow their own rules. Mm-hmm. They should just, you know, any anybody that has suffered as a result of having broken these rules through fines or anything like that, they should have Reparations. And there's plenty of them. There was a woman in London, wasn't there, who was fined for the exact same day, I think, uh, having a party in Hackney or somewhere. She was fined 12 grand. But the thing is, it's not even just Boris and these parties. I think it was about 1,800 students have been fined for breaking the COVID rules, some of them for up to £10,000. They've claimed about £170,000, I think, roughly, in mm. total, for all of the collective fines for students have done. These are students, and I'm a student, that own nothing... We are poor as you can be, and they're fining us £10,000 for having one extra person in your flat. That completely ruins someone's life. Meanwhile, the number of members of parliament that are on £80,000 salaries, how many of them have been fined? Yeah, well, none None of them have. And how many of them them. actually got sick after all these parties are down the street? None None of them. So why why are we holding students to a higher standard? That's the thing that really riles, is that you have to ask yourself, why was it that they broke the rules in this way? Because it suggests that they didn't think that the risk to them personally was sufficient to justify them well, being a bit it, more I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the Meanwhile, things, they were terrifying yeah, the rest of the population One of the events submission. that's been overtaken by other events is Kate Josephs at the end of last week, who was the co- head of the COVID task force, who had a leaving party in December of 2021, I think it was, um, because she was going back to work at Sheffield City Council. And you go, well, and you're the head of the COVID uh, task force. You're seeing all the data. You're having an indoor party 
in your office with loads of people and some drink. Now, I don't give a stuff if people want to have mm -hmm. a party, but it is complete hypocrisy. And it shows that even the leader of the COVID task force knew it wasn't dangerous. It's the fact yeah. that they were, they were engendering so much fear in the population and doing things like not allowing people to see their loved ones while they were dying in yeah. hospital, not allowing people to see elderly relatives, like my grandmother who's in her 90s, who's in a care home. Mm. You know, she is towards the end of her life. I'm sure she would rather have a cuddle from her son yeah. than to be locked Living inside for her safety Staring at the end of her walls. life. Absolutely. So they're engendering all of this fear within the population, but clearly are not frightened enough themselves that they feel that they, you know, ought to take even you know, when assessing their own risk and behaving according exactly. to their own They've got all assessment. of the data in the world that they could possibly have coming into their offices minute by minute. They know everything. So the fact that they weren't scared shows you that there is not really anything to be scared about no. anymore. So I think that's the biggest thing we've got to take away from this party gate. We can get wild up in the hypocrisy. We can call for people to resign. We can be angry. But at the end of the day, we need to take away the fact that they were not scared when they had all the data. So it's about time all of us learn to live our lives and stop yeah. living in fear because they never were. And we can, you know, we can talk about all of the petty stuff, or we can make a decision to live our lives properly now and get this whole and situation. Again, over when with. you when you talk about the cost benefit analysis of you know all of the public health policies versus the damage that those public health policies mm. have caused, their behaviour and breaking the rules in this way suggests again that. In that cost-benefit analysis, the cost is so much higher mm. than any benefit totally. that we got. And we're, finding that out. and we're finding that out more and more and more as we look into the health service, into the school system, into yeah. the NHS in the general. The school system one's really important to me, obviously, because yeah. I was a sixth former during the pandemic. Right. And we literally sat there and watched our future be ripped away from us in front of our eyes. And it was like there was nothing we can do. And at the end of the day, this pandemic is going to be over the damage that they've done to my generation and all of our lives will mm. last for the rest mm. of our lives. I know. So it's, it's a shocking state of affairs. But that's why we've been saying all the things we've been saying. It's very nice that without Talk Radio, we've now been proved right. It's basically, <laughs> as I might always. as well say it now, you know, we got it right long before anybody else did. It doesn't feel as good to be right as I'd hoped. <laughs> no. Oh, it's always good to be it's right. Listen, well, I don't know what it's like not to be right, so it's all it's the only thing I've ever had. <laughs> Emma, who's your second nomination? <laughs> Very much in the same vein. Um, I'm going to nominate Khalid Mahmood, yes. uh, MP, for his absolutely absurd, ridiculous uh, interview that he did with Christo um, mm. at the weekend on yes. Sunday. Christo, who I think he might be on Plank of the Week next week, actually. He, this interview was so absurd and... Yeah, I was I was completely gobsmacked. Even thinking about it, I'm still gobsmacked. But um, afterwards, we went into a break, and I just sort of sat there in complete, you know, astonishment, disbelief, total disbelief, because um, he was so inconsistent with his arguments, and Christo quite easily demolished him. Mm. Um, one of the points was re relating to um, Barry Gardner yeah. that he he was uh, on the one hand. Uh, calling for Boris to resign before Sue Gray's uh, findings, yes. but at, on the other hand, wasn't doing the same for, his, for mm. individuals in his own party right. who were being caught doing naughty things. Um, and also, he was um, when he he was talking about. The, the definition of what a party is. And he was defining a party by how much alcohol is consumed. So Boris Johnson can't have wine and cheese for his lunch, but right. it's OK for Keir Starmer to have a beer because that's not a party because it's just one beer and he's right. standing on his own. The, uh, but the, the, the way that he was trying to piece together this argument was so profoundly 
weak and mm. flimsy um, that I, I just have to nominate him as a plank because this is not the calibre of MPs that we deserve. We do have an awful lot of MPs who are very, very distinctly average, I'm afraid. This was, they all, this was, dis this was distinctly below average yeah. <laughs> um, because his, he, was, he was continuing to, to double down in this argument and it was quite clear you know, where this was going and how Christo was going to respond to it. Um, and he just he just walked right into it and he didn't seem to see the inconsistencies in his own arguments. No. Um, and again, like I say, trying to define a party as being dependent on how much alcohol is consumed, um, as if parties have never happened in the Middle East um, without you know, booze or right. wine and cheese and so on. The whole thing was just so completely absurd that I thought I really, truly cannot believe that this. And, and this is coming after all of the shenanigans over the last two years. I still cannot believe that we have an MP who can make arguments this week on yes. national radio. I know. There's an awful lot of them, though. I mean, I'll never forget some of the people that I interviewed when we were down in the tent of shame uh, that year when nothing was happening. And every single time they would come in and it would just be like, really? They never cease to amaze. Yeah. Is that really <laughs> what you think? It was quite incredible. Sophie, who's your second? Well, it links on beautifully to uh, what Emma just said there. My second is actually Keir Starmer. Yes. For what we just went over. So he has been calling relentlessly for Boris to resign over Partygate. Unfit to leave. However, he himself seems to have forgotten that he was caught on the 30th of April last year in a gathering indoors with Mary Foy, who is the MP for Durham. Wasn't and it in your neck of, of the woods up in Durham? Yeah, and a no number of other people inside having a booze up and a takeaway. Now, people are saying that, oh, there's no comparison. Well, it kind of is because they both claimed that they were at work and then all of a sudden booze showed up. Mm. <laughs> to, to my lovely Labour followers, if you did a quick Google, you will be astonished and very glad to find out that in April, the lockdown restrictions were no indoor gatherings. So we have Boris, who is outside, socially distant, having a bit of wine and cheese, claimed he was at work. Kia was indoors, they were on top of each other, and they were having a takeaway. So you can compare the two. The only difference between the two right now that stands is that Boris has come out and apologised, whereas Kia has doubled down and decided not to. Yes, well, he says he doesn't need to apologise, which is unusual for a politician, because normally they do apologise even when they it, don't this, mean it. They're so annoying because they keep coming out here, and this is what really winding me up about Labour Party right now. They're coming out here and bashing Boris with these sticks of all these horrendous, heartbreaking stories of laws that they voted for. Yes. They voted for them. So you're coming out, oh, all these people dying alone. You wanted that. That's a good that point. was another you thing that Carlin yeah. Mood said was he that he 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 thought in hindsight that the restrictions weren't any good. But then when questioned on why he vote with them again, it's right. you know just a bunch team of captain well, hindsight. Although, also they would have locked people down for longer. They would have locked people yeah, down. They wanted um, a policy of you know, harder, faster, longer. Ways. Yeah, exactly. And they 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 call for Boris to resign. They call for anybody to resign at a drop hat, call for Boris to resign for breaking the rules, but not Kia. Call for Owen Patterson to resign, but not old Beijing Barry mm. lapping it up with the Chinese over there. Where is the consistency? This is, this is, this is a really serious problem because it, it, it's Keir Starmer and other, Angela Rayner, for example, they want Labour to be seen as a government in waiting. But actually, on a serious note, their inability to string together strong arguments, to not contradict themselves, to not seem completely cynical, just projects to the public that Labour are not an honest party, that they're not, they're not acting in good faith. And so whilst, 
you know, obviously the Conservatives are going down in the polls probably because of all of the Tory sleaze and everyone's talking about how Boris is dishonest and so on. On a really fundamental level, the Labour Party comes across as being fundamentally dishonest yes. because they, they seem to be incapable of acting in good faith. Well, I was just, funnily enough, checking back on Keir Starmer's Twitter over the last couple of days because he hasn't yet ever tweeted about Barry Gardner or China. No. We talked about that And they were on the BBC the other day and she managed actually, to avoid that as well. It doesn't cut across his, uh, his path whatsoever. Mm -hmm. He has well, nothing I, to I say about it. I see them defending it. They put MPs out there, the likes of West Street, and defending them, breaking the rules mm. or being hypocrites. And the problem is, the biggest issue we have in this country and the reason why things like Partygate were able to happen is because Labour are so utterly useless, useless. it does not matter what the Conservatives do mm. because they know they're going to win. And the, other, the other thing is Labour interesting. don't do nothing. They, no. You can call in investigations to wallpaper and parties, but when it comes to standing up to the COVID restrictions, they're not there, they're sitting on the fence. Mm. When it comes to grooming gangs, not there, sitting on the fence. Immigration, not there, sitting on the fence. So they are just completely a it's massive true. waste of space. I had Graham Stringer on um, because they've also started putting out Labour MPs who are starting to sound mm. a little bit more electable because they're kind of moving away from all the trans madness and all <laughs> the, the other kind of identity labor. politics. But I got Graham Stringer, who sounded quite good until I said to him, what exactly would Keir Starmer do about the migrant crossings? What would he do about that? What's his policy on that? And he just started sort of stumbling and bumbling around because he didn't know. Because there isn't any policy except for it's, let's let everybody come. It's they're unintelligent in, opposition. They've got yeah. no imagination. The only you know thing what, they can think is, is to say more, more, more. Yeah, yeah. He makes me laugh because he somehow, by miracle, manages to see what the public want and do the opposite. Yeah. So like we you know massive migrant crisis, massive migrant crisis. What does he come and do? Go wheels in old Yvette Cooper who's standing there looking like the cat out of Tom and Jerry with a let them all in sign or whatever yeah, yeah. it was. And then when a million people are signing the signature on old Tony Blair on his old good BBC patriotic speech, which, by the way, Labour and patriotic don't belong in the same sentence. No. But he comes on and says, oh, I think Tony Blair's a great man and he deserves his knighthood. I mean, what is he doing? Yeah, even the people in the Labour Party don't agree with that. Oh, exactly. Um, He's just but the useless. other thing that's interesting is I was listening to Professor John Curtis the other day who said that actually Labour's um, poll rating is no higher than it was the same time last year. The fact that the Tories have lost ground on them is entirely down to the Tories and yeah. people who are possibly going to vote in another direction and maybe go to reform or something. But Labour's vote hasn't actually gone up. So they haven't done anything brilliant. It's not as though Starmer's <laughs> no. gone, look at me, I'm really popular now. It's just everybody else has kind of the fallen is, away. They, they, they've they not, they not decided up. they're going to vote for Labour as a result of this. They've just decided they're not going to vote at all. They, no. catch, they catch up in the polls and you think, well, 11 years in, you should be winning these important by-elections yeah. and they're not doing it. Exactly right. So... You know, this government has been utterly catastrophic. They should be winning by a country mile, mm. but they're not. And that is a poor reflection on them, really. I think it is. Absolutely right. I'm afraid I'm going to go with Harry and Meghan uh, oh. with my uh, second nomination. And I know that that might uh, elicit, <laughs> elicit some size. <laughs> but, I mean, you, every week, I mean, they ended up winning it last year, Plank of the Year. They had way, way far and away more uh, votes than anybody else. But... They, they don't have to be in it every week, but they put themselves in it every week. I mean, this week alone, you know, Prince Harry has decided that despite the fact that he's no longer a member of the royal family, he wants to be treated like one. He wants to come to the UK, which apparently is a very dangerous country, despite the fact that he lives in Los Angeles, or just north of Los Angeles, one of the most dangerous cities in the entire world, where you're likely to get shot literally walking down Santa Monica Boulevard for no other reason than you happen to be shot because somebody shot you out of a moving car. You know, but apparently they don't feel safe coming here with their children, and so he he would like to pay personally for the Metropolitan Police to protect. So, I mean, how bleeding arrogant can you get 
I mean, it's not how it works. It really isn't. No, you know, you don't just turn up and go, right, anyway. um, I want 25 police officers to protect me and my wife and my kids around the clock. I don't mind paying them. I mean, it's the most absurd and, and kind of really privileged and entitled. And, and entitled way to behave that you think you can just buy everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very American thing, actually. You know, I lived there for 10 years and rich Americans think they can just come to Britain and buy it and go, right, well, what do you mean I can't get served at 10 o'clock at night? You know, I'll give you 100 quid and you give me a sandwich. That's kind of that mentality. It's kind of the mm -hmm. ugly American mentality. It's hard to believe. And then meanwhile, she has taken Amal Rajin to task and has complained to the BBC. And he was trying to do something nice for her because Amal Rajin is ten tends to be on Meghan Markle's side. But apparently he said that she had misled the court, which she actually admitted to doing. Um, she's now complained to the BBC that that was wrong. So I'm afraid, you know, they're in there. They're, gonna, they're not going to win it maybe this week, but they've got to be in there. They can't do anything without digging themselves further down into the hole. No. I don't know how, whether they what they thought that this was going to do, whether they thought this was going to play well with the public. I don't imagine that they do anything without PR in mind. Right. Um, but it well, seems he has got again a book to sell, but it doesn't sound to me like he's selling it, to the right people. It seems again, though, like that he's tr it's a, it's another stick to beat the UK with, yeah. another stick to beat the British people with, yeah. to say, look how hard done by I am that you won't allow me to have police protection yeah. for my family. And now, in some ways, I do understand it because you know he is he has a particular status that he has inherited, and there's not really very much he can do about that. Yeah. But pay for your security yourself. You've done. Well, I mean, all he's of offering these... to do it, but you think but, is you can't you, just you order can't the police. You can't buy the Metropolitan no. Police. That that is just simply no. not how it works. And it seems to me that he's only annoyed because if he does hire private security, they're not allowed to have guns. Well, okay, I don't think you really need to no have security with guns. guns. No, in the country and anywhere. he doesn't. And he doesn't have Metropolitan Police protection in America. So why does no. he need it here? You know, is he not as much at danger in America as he is mm -hmm. here? Are there really more people in Britain that want to do him harm? I don't think so. I just think these two are just so privileged that it's, it just sums up 2020 mm. era perfectly, that the most privileged people in this country are lecturing all of us on privilege, first of all. Yeah. And it just comes at such an awful time. The Queen has literally lost her mm. husband. You've got old Prince Andrew's, be her favourite son has been stripped of all his titles. The worst thing about Prince Andrew that I discovered this week was that he has... Um, the cuddly toys. The cuddly toys <laughs> in the bed, but also a pillow with Daddy written on it. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, sorry. They're just so irritating. What were the cuddly toys again? I can't remember, but they had oh, weird God, names. I don't even want to know. They had weird names. I don't want to know yeah. why he has cuddly no. toys on his bed. I just don't. But what I mean, there. she's having such a difficult time in what is her jubilee? Her jubilee officially is actually on my birthday, um, in a year that should be momentous and yes. full of celebration. And she needs her family to support her with the loss of her husband. And all they are doing is making it's it making worse. It and for what reason? Yeah. What are they chosen really to do? What are they really pleased really to books? see that she's not giving uh, either Andrew or Harry the, the Queen's Jubilee medal, which is brilliant. It's just a fantastically kind of understated slap, isn't it? And I didn't think I could love the you know, Queen more. I know. Isn't it brilliant? <laughs> yes. Anyway, we're probably going to run out of time soon, so we better have your third nominee. The NHS. Excellent. On behalf of all companies and institutions that are firing the unvaccinated or discriminating yeah. against them. Yes. Um, we're coming up to the point now where the NHS are going to be getting rid of their unvaccinated staff, despite the fact that they have a staffing shortage anyway. Mm. Um, and they also, because of the, the new pandemic, shall we call it, yeah. um, 
it's the evidence seems to suggest that actually it's not because the staff are getting sick, it's just because of the isolation rules. So they're, they're even yeah. less staff than normal and that's right. what's creating the current crisis in the NHS. Um, so even despite this you know, multitude of problems, they are still going to fire their unvaccinated staff in the next um, couple next, of weeks. Yeah, next couple of weeks, I think. Um, yeah. So I wanted to nominate them but on behalf of other companies I know that you were speaking earlier to Laura Dodsworth about um, companies like Ocado yeah. that are discriminating against their workers with um, sick pay, not offering them the same sick pay as vaccinated yes. workers. And it's clearly a, a measure intended to coerce those individuals into having the vaccine, mm. despite the fact that Omicron, it seems, ha- evades the, the the benefits when mm. it comes to transmission yeah. with the vaccine, as that doctor pointed out when he yeah. was talking to Sajid Javid. Right. Um, so, you know, the NHS, on behalf of all of these companies, I don't think it's quite fair to say that they're planks. I actually think this is like grossly unethical yeah. and yes. a little bit evil. Well, this is why um, plank is a great word, because it sort of covers everything from <laughs> evil down to just a bit stupid. It's the flexible you know? end of being a plank. I don't get the point of this, though, because the government have made us give up our lives for the last two years to protect the NHS, mm. and they're going to purposefully overwhelm it by it's sacking incredible. all of the staff. So well, what, this is why, what again, was all of our work Well, again, for? it proves why that what they wanted that? to achieve was, one, not really the reason they were doing it at all, and this idea that they were going to overwhelm... The NHS was never overwhelmed, yeah. even at I the very... My education and my year. future for nothing. And yeah. you know, my, gonna... my recent experience as well of the NHS, I am so appalled by how badly it functions. Yeah. I used to be one of the people who um, wasn't necessarily on side with those who wanted to reform the NHS. Um, I didn't quite get the arguments. Yeah. Now that I've looked into it more, thought about it yeah. more, had a little bit more experience of the NHS, I'm horrified by how it runs. People will be dying because of, because of how completely incompetent. And yeah. it's not because it's not because of the staff. It's not because the staff no. aren't well-meaning. Many of these staff members, you know, the, even, including the ones who are unvaccinated, these are these are people who've gone into this as a vocation. They mm. care about the people that they're caring for. And they're good. But the system do. itself yeah. is so absolutely rotten. Mm. It just needs complete overhaul. That's yeah. the thing, though. Whenever you criticise it. it, people automatically assume that you're criticising the NHS staff. Yeah. We're not doing that. We're criticising the system. And the problem is, if you want to protect the NHS, then we must be free to criticise it. Because the criticism becomes improvement. And with the absence not of that, one, becomes the absence of improvement. Yeah. And the absence of improvement... Not one Prime Minister out of the best part of the last 15 years has done anything. Uh, to make it better, you and know. No one, no one wants it to not be free at the point of entry. Al- almost, or with exactly. the exception of America, well, all exactly, around you know the developed what? world. I wonder it is about free at the that. Point of entry. I do wonder about that. I think if you took, if you took some of it, I mean, some of it is not free at the point of, uh, mm-hmm. of sale anyway. Because if you go to the dentist, Dental unless care, you've got, yeah. yeah, unless you've got some kind of exemption from it, or you're unemployed, or you're a pregnant mother, or sort of child, you have to pay. You know, if you go for some forms of therapy, you have to pay. If you pay for a subscription, you're paying for something. It's not free. So, you know, I think they have to get away from this whole idea that, oh, it's free at the point of of collection Mm -hmm. because it's clearly not working. But also to get away from the idea that that's unique. In Mm. the developed world, with the exception of America, that is not unique at all. but there are so many more efficient ways to have this thing run. And as they're I say, always they, you underfunded, know, but mm. we fund them more every year. Yeah. Where is the money? Why are they going? underfunded? We need to stop increasing the funding until we understand where it is going. Yeah. They need to. They need to. I think publicise where they're spending yeah. this money and why. Because I bet you it's going to middle management. Well, lots and of it is not going teams. to actual clinical frontline services, and that's. No, what you I need would to know. love to know what the cost is on patient outcomes if 
when they are fired. They mm. talk about, you know, COVID statistics and, and that kind of data all the time. Mm. I want to know exactly what the, the, the chances of increased mortality rates are from firing yeah. those unvaccinated That's members of staff it, versus having those members of staff yeah. in the hospital, despite the fact the vaccine doesn't seem to have much effect on transmission. No. With the care system as well, I think it was a report that said about 40% of the excess care home deaths came from patient neglect and loneliness. Yeah. So then you're going to go and sack all of these staff, so there's going to be more patient neglect and more loneliness, how many more deaths is that going to mm. cause? I know. And I just don't get the point because these workers at the very forefront of the pandemic, when it was at its worst, were working in those hospitals unvaccinated. Exactly. So what has changed? Suddenly now they have to what be fired for it. And you saw as well what happened to that doctor after he spoke to Sajid Javid mm. honestly and the, the whole hubbub around mm. that. You know, there must be so much pressure on NA. We talk about free speech a lot. Yeah. You know, there must be so much pressure to conform, to conform in your opinions and to conform in your behaviour yeah. on nurses, doctors, because when anybody comes out and presents a, a differing view, a, a view that, you know, I've spoken to, you know, anecdotally to NHS staff, mm. to paramedics who hold the same views as that doctor, yeah. um, there must be so much pressure on them to conform that we don't really even know what the views no. are of the majority of no. NHS well, staff. Well, we know there's How at least 85,000 who are not vaccinated who will all lose their jobs if they don't yeah, get about vaccinated. Five, 5% of the NHS pretty workforce. Dreadful. Pretty if you think about these doctors, they've studied their entire lives for their jobs and now they're going to lose it yeah. because they don't want a vaccine. Like, and these don't are just become a doctor. throughout the pandemic. Yeah. Whatever happens, it's clap for carers. Right. Clap for them only, only if they and do. I mean, the other reason I think, yeah. them the next. And the other reason I think the NHS are planked is that they haven't stood up for these people. No. These are people who have worked for them, served their, their cause, done all sorts of things that they were asked to do in quite difficult circumstances. As soon as the old uh, Department of Health snaps its fingers, the NHS they goes, oh, OK. Mm -hmm. So, your third one. Well, my third one is Rupert Grint, who Rupert Grint. is obviously a Harry Potter star, and he said that Jake, he described J.K. Rowling as his auntie. I don't always agree with everything she says. I, I don't get this. Mm. That woman made their entire life. Exactly. I mean, who'd heard of Rupert like 10 Grint? 10 years old. Right, who'd heard Another of Rupert Grint? Another entitled ginger. Yeah, I'm afraid so. There's two of them in this uh, uh, situation. <laughs> and you, I don't count you in that either, because you're not actually on the list of plankery. You know. But it is madness, isn't it? It's completely madness. Them? And they I don't think they need to get involved. No. It's nothing to do with them. And at the end of the day, without J.K. Rowling, they would be nobody. I would, you know, I would accept their point of view, uh, slagging her off and telling her she can't come to any of the things that they wouldn't be doing if it wasn't for her inventing them. Yeah. Right. That they gave all their money back and said, right, every single penny I've ever made from Harry Potter, I'm gonna give it to charity and I'm gonna go back to living as a non-entity, which is what I was before J.K. Rowling found out yeah. who I was, right? They were and then I would listen to them, her. but not now. While they count I, their I millions. I don't get why these men as a whole want to dictate how women should be feeling about certain political issues. Or how women uh, should be defined, even. Exactly. Because at the it's end of the day... It's very feminist of them. It exactly. really is. Um, J.K. Rowling has a history, and that is the reason why she has the views that she does. And it is well, not... Well, views aren't exactly revolutionary, no, are they? it's literally, you know, we don't want people who were born men to be in female sports or female spaces, which is entirely reasonable. Yeah, it, particularly it, prisons. Exactly, because changing we've rooms. seen... I saw a statistic the other day... And it was about uh, almost five times more likely that men in prisons would be transgender as opposed to the outside general population. Oh, really? And all of and there was a story that he went into prison, 
became a woman, mm. went into a women's prison, raped them, and as soon as he came out, he then went back to male. Oh, really? And it's a case of women deserve to be in prisons without having these people, because a lot of those women in prisons have had abuse and things, trauma done by men right. in their past. They deserve to be in prisons away from biological men, as do sports. Yeah. Why, why should we have people that are born men in our sports? It's got nothing to do with what you want to call yourself, because we have people in my football league that were girls and are now transitioned to boys, and that's not a problem. Why? Because they were. it's an equal playing field. Mm. The reality is men are better than us, they are faster than us, they are quicker than us, they are stronger than us. If we played against men, we wouldn't stand a chance. That's why they separate men and women. They don't yeah. do it just because we happen to be called women. They have to be called men. They do it so we as can well stand a chance. In things like well, boxing. I mean, boxing has been raised before, where if you, you have somebody who's transgender uh, and, and, a, a, and formerly a man... Uh, who's punching a woman, effectively. I mean, you can't really yeah, sanction that as UFC, sport, can you? In the UFC, there was a former male Marine yeah. who then turned into a woman and beat this poor woman to stress. How is that progressive? They come out here and say that this, is all, that this is all progressive, but what is progressive about any of no. this complete, utter nonsense? And there's no reason for it, because the, the transgender community is such a tiny, tiny, tiny minority, there is no reason to completely screw over the majority of women and put them in unsafe situations in order to cater to these small amount of individuals. You can respect how they want to identify, you can respect who they are and respect their lives, but you do not need to compromise the safety and the comfort of the majority for the minority. And that's, for some reason, yeah. the obsession we have in society, and I don't know why. Mm. But And that makes Rupert Grint uh, definitely up there for Plank of the Week. Yes. Now, my final one is Sadiq Khan, another guy who's oh, in it quite a lot. We try again, <laughs> we try not to put him in every week, but, you know, it's not enough, apparently, for Sadiq Khan to completely redesign the street map of London. Uh, so that nobody can actually go anywhere, you know, because there's a huge bike Get lane Chris over there. Um, there's, there's some, you know, there's some cycling lights over there. Uh, there's a bus lane here, but you can't overtake the bus. You can't overtake the cyclist. You know, the trains are off because they're digging them up. They haven't got any money. He's now decided that it's not enough to have the congestion charge, which is 15 quid. It's not enough to have the ULEZ charge, which is, I think, another 20 quid if you're coming in from outside of London. So if you're a working man in a white van that's quite old and it's got a bit of diesel coming out of it, you're paying 40 quid for the privilege of just getting into London before you've earned any money at all. He now says uh, he wants to, uh, by 2024, draw up plans to reduce carbon emissions and improve air quality to the point where basically every journey you take in a car, you have to pay for. So we don't know how much per mile yet, but say, for example, it's a pound a mile. So, you know, if you drive 10 miles, you've got to pay 10 quid. It's unbelievable that outrageous. they just want to milk and milk and milk Whose the motorists. Whose life is this improving? Nobody's. Whose life? No, no one's. one's it, apart it, from the, the rich idea people. That, I mean, the reason why he wants to do this is straightforward. He wants to get cars off of the road. The, the, the people that this is going to affect the most are the people who he should be quite concerned about discriminating against, yes. surely. Yes. People who, you know, use their vehicles for a trade. Mm -hmm. People who don't have the luxury of living in area, bougie areas where everything's like a little village yes. and you've got your butcher, your baker and your candlestick yes. maker. But those people who live in these built-up areas that he encouraged uh -huh. to be built, these big skyscraper mm -hmm. areas with no local infrastructure right. where the only way you can get to a, sh to a shop or to a supermarket is to drive there. Yeah. It, it's it's making life more difficult for the people who already have a more difficult life. Mm -hmm. The idea of taking... I, this inf absolutely infuriates me yeah. because for some people, their car is their independence. Yes. And it's a very, very upper-middle-class 
virtue signalling concern yes. to want to take it's cars all the people off of who the road in the name, in the name of eco so don't have to, Yeah, they don't have to go anywhere. It's absolutely outrageous. Politicians should come into people's lives in order to make them better. They are knowingly making it worse. They're knowingly making it worse. There is no benefit to this. At the end of the day, China are going to keep doing what they're doing. Russia are going to keep doing they what they're doing. India are going to keep doing what they're doing. So why are we going to ruin our people's lives in this country to conform to some utterly useless green and what agenda? Is it less than 1% is our contribution? Yeah, less than 1%. Yeah, we yeah. were in like the top 10 emissions in like pollution. We were like the lowest 10 mm. and we were like the top 10 most environmental countries. What more can so we like do a, other like than single, destroy our like lives? It's like a single molecule in yeah. the drop in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's like having China a big, like big absolutely huge jar of midget gems and taking one out. That's what it's like. Anyway, listen, we've got, to, we've got to get on because we're running out of time. So here's what we do, Sophie. We'll, yes. I want you to pick your favourite one of Emma's uh, three nominations. So Emma, why don't you tell Sophie what you had? The Confectioners as a joint nomination. The Confectioners I like. I like that. The NHS um, and uh, Khalid Mahmood MP. Oh, well, I think it's between Khalid and the NHS, but I'm going to go with the NHS because I, like I just think that their behaviour is utterly callous. And despicable, to be quite honest with you. I think that's a very good choice. Right, now you tell me your three. Uh, I've got so, them in front of me. So mine were obviously Rupert Grin, yeah. um, Beijing Barry and <laughs> Keir Starmer. I think it's got to be Beijing Barry this week, hasn't it? Because, um, you know, I don't well, think Keir he's been in it. it Keir's in there anyway. And, I mean, he, he will figure probably in the top 20 at the end of the year. But Be Beijing Barry... He's got to be in there for, uh, for taking all this money. Now, yeah. you want to choose mine, Emma. Uh, Sadiq Khan, Boris Johnson, Harry and Meghan. Oh, that, those are really high-level They're high, banks. they are. They're all up there. Um, you know, I think Boris Johnson. I think so. P particularly because of what you just said today, where he's basically now um, admitting that it was a party. So the first time he said anything was that he was appalled and absolutely dis it was disgraceful that he discovered there were parties because apparently Allegra Stratton had never told him that. Um, then he said that he wasn't sure if he was at the party and he needed to wait until the investigation was complete before he could tell you. Then he remembered that he was at the party for 25 minutes but it wasn't a party. Today he's saying that nobody told him it was a party or that it was against the rules. So it's like a kid who's been called into the yeah, teacher's office and it's he's trying to like, lie his way out. Here's the timeline, <laughs> and he keeps trapping himself with each lie yeah. so that every time he then says something else, it lies about what he said before, so it can't all be true. I think the apologies are actually worse than the actual rule-breaking itself. They're yes. so maybe, embarrassing. Maybe he started to believe and everybody was say, saying that he was a sort of Teflon Tony character yes. when oh, none, so. of, none of the Well, imagine, the crap imagine would being stick. in a meeting where they said, here's a good idea, let's just announce a load of policies, right? Get every single department in Whitehall to go, right, we're going to do this, guys, and we're going to save Boris. Mm -hmm. And people are going, that's not actually what we want you to do. We want you to sort out the country. We want you to stop telling lies and stop pretending that we're idiots. That that's would be a good, a good start. point, actually, is that it, it's shown as well that public health policy has now become a political porn. Yes. Because now you, we can just change which, the restrictions actually, in order to maybe, save the opinion but polls. We should maybe thank Boris Johnson for now finally revealing that yeah. the whole government policy of the last two years was a massive sort of game. Sham. I say Sham. Boris Johnson's Johnson should stick around for as long as possible okay, so then. that we can never have another lockdown. Well, let's decide uh, who the winner is because now it's time to choose the winner of Plank of the Week. And I'm going to also mention that I'm going to carry over Australia because they were in it last week for what they did to Novak Djokovic and what they then did this week was even worse. You know, put him in detention over the course of the weekend, told him that they would have another hearing, then deported him. And as somebody pointed out, uh, he's the first sportsman to be kicked out of a tournament for not taking drugs. Yes. <laughs> 
So, well, I mean, it's they, quite they, remarkable. They, to, the, to the women, no one's picked up on this. Um, one of the female tennis players, they strip-searched her. Oh, God. For, for what reason? I'm never because going to Australia. Have a vaccine. I'm just never going there. That's it. Right, no. so Barry Gardner, Boris Johnson, the NHS. Who's number one? That's so hard. Who's won it? That is really hard. Barry Gardner, it's I think. It's got to be Beijing Barry. I think surely. Beijing Barry's yes, the man, isn't he? Yes, on my first one, haven't you? <laughs> well, well done, you. He's the CCP's <laughs> man. He brings, brings the winner to the game. All right, yes. so Barry Gardner, number one. I think we've got to give Boris number two. Yeah, uh, and the NHS number three. And the NHS number three. So well done, Beijing Barry. Nice house, by the way. And uh, <laughs> thanks very much for employing uh, the Chinese agent's son, even though, of course, he hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, Barry Gardner, Plank of the Week. Thanks to Emma, thanks to Sophie. We'll see you next time.